Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Uh, we have um, two Bible readings today um, before Mark brings the message for us. Uh, so we we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 42 from verse 1 until verse 9. You can find that on page 1124 in the Bibles at the end of your pew. If you'd like to read along. Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. The creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and the new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Our second reading is in John chapter 8. Verses 12 to 30. And 1,662 if you want to find it in the Pew Bibles. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. 
yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Morning, everyone. Well, I'm glad it's a bright day because uh, the talk today is on Jesus being the light of the world. And uh, yeah, we want to know Jesus uh, this morning and that he offers us the light of life. Uh, We've been doing a series called Jesus According to Jesus. uh, And that's because many people have different views of who Jesus is. Uh, I think a really common one is that Jesus is a, a good teacher. Um, But I find that um, people who think Jesus is just a good teacher probably haven't really opened the Bible to see what Jesus said about himself because he makes some really wild claims. But I think in this day and age, uh, we like people who are authentic and we like to hear people speak for themselves. And so that through this series, that's really what we want to do is hear what does Jesus say about himself? And so uh, we'll have a look at what we've seen so far, but let's just uh, start with a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have recorded uh, in the Bible the words of Jesus uh, so we can listen to him and hear what he has to say. And we just ask that you will speak to each one of us individually this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in where this is number three in the series and in the first talk we heard from chapter one that it described that this word, this wisdom personified, created the world and then this word became flesh. And, and that is re- referring to Jesus. And so Jesus being the most influential, the most quoted person in history... Uh, when he's described as at the word, some people say really that's God trying to speak to us um, in, the most, in the fullest expression of God's wisdom about who he is and what he wants to do. Then we looked at chapter 6 where Jesus said, I'm the bread of life and we looked at seven extraordinary promises that Jesus makes to us and 
Uh, He says to us that by coming to him, we'll never thirst or hunger again. And that's referring to spiritual thirst or hunger. And he, he says that even your craziest dream won't fulfill you, but you will find ultimate satisfaction in the one who created you. Well, there's three things that Jesus wants for you today. Jesus wants for you to know him. He wants for you to know his father. And he also wants you to have the light of life. So first of all, from John chapter 8, Jesus wants you to know him. And if you don't know Jesus, well, I hope to be able to introduce you to him today. But if you are already aware of Jesus and are somewhat familiar, uh, this chapter, Jesus is speaking to religious leaders who thought they knew lots about God. But Jesus said to them, you actually don't know me or my father. And you have no idea um, who I am or where I come from or where I'm going. And Jesus describes himself, he says, I am the light of the world. Now to understand that phrase in particular, uh, it's a bit of a strange expression. We really need to understand the context of the day. And so Jesus, all through the book of John, speaks into, uh, he mainly spoke to the Jewish culture that he lived in. And you can see this is a thread running through the Gospel of John. So in John chapter 2, there's the marriage uh, where Jesus converts water to wine. And really, that was kind of a symbol of what is going to happen in the future of this amazing banquet of all of God's people together. And then he also talks about the temple and clears people out from the temple and speaks of his resurrection and kind of hints that actually the temple, the physical structure of the temple is not going to be here one day. It's going to be replaced And then in chapter 3, it kind of talks about baptism. And it says, you don't need, for your life, you don't need to be physically washed. What you need is a new spiritual birth. And in chapter 6, he talks about being the bread of life. And that was all about him pointing way back to the Old Testament, to the manna that God provided in the wilderness for Israel, and saying, well, actually, I am the spiritual sustenance that you need daily. And now, chapter 7 and 8, we have the Jewish institution of the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacle is just a fancy word for tent, and as part of this festival, uh, there were three festivals that every year a Jewish male would try to get to the holy city, Jerusalem, for uh, as part of their calendar. Uh, that would be Passover, and it would be Pentecost, and the Tabernacles. And as part of the Tabernacles, they would go and they would journey and sort of build these little huts made out of branches to live and that would remind them of the years in which they spent 40 years in the wilderness where God provided for them. And it also looked forward to the promised Messiah who was to come. And so there's two great images during this festival. The first one is water. Uh, Jesus talks about being thirsty And so during the Feast of the Tabernacles, for the first six days of the feast, uh, a priest, uh, you'll see on the slide, uh, a priest would get water from the Pool of Siloam and then wind their way through lots of crowds celebrating up to the temple and then they would pour that water onto the altar. Uh, And this would represent a whole lot of uh, things. Um, And on the seventh day, they'd actually do this seven times Um, and it was a big celebration lots of dancing and and it would be about that it was kind of like a prayer for rain to come 
I was also looking at uh, remembering how God had provided water from a rock back in the wilderness. And then it also was kind of a taste of the prophetic visions of life-giving water that would flow from uh, the life-giving temple of God in the books of Zechariah and Ezra. And so Jesus stands up on the last day when they've done all of this water ceremony and he says, I um, I'll let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so Jesus' statement is actually a real contrast because the water that was poured out on the altar, that would have been absorbed fairly quickly. But Jesus said, within you, you can have this spring of living water. Now we all thirst. Uh, I know that I thirst for better relationships with people in my family or with my boss or with God. But there's other things that we thirst for as well, and I hope you do too, things like meaning for life, things like what is going to happen to me after dying, knowing that for sure. And Jesus is saying these thirsts are good and they can be satisfied. But when he says rivers of living water will flow from within them, uh, that's where I know from my personal experience that I run out of my own steam pretty quickly. My well is pretty dry uh, and I'm mortal, I'm limited. And so Jesus explains that what he was really saying is that this, uh, this fountain and the spring of water is not you, it's when God's spirit comes and lives within you. And this infinite, uh, unlimited, never-ending spirit of God, that's what produces the, the wells of water within you. And that's how your thirst can be quenched. The second big image of this festival is light. And Jesus was standing in the treasury in the temple and to celebrate the cloud, uh, we see a picture to celebrate the cloud of pillar and fire that, the, that Israel experienced in the wilderness. They would light these four enormous candelabras uh, with oil and it would actually illuminate uh, the entire city of Jerusalem, according to the historical records that we have. And it's at this time that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so because this pillar of cloud and fire in the wilderness was God's presence with Israel back in the Old Testament, Jesus is essentially saying, I am the light of the world, I am God's presence with you now. And we see that earlier in chapter 1 in the book of John, uh, it talks in uh, says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the light the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth so we don't know whether jesus said that he was the light of the world when the lamps were lit or whether they were out during the daytime but once again it's a contrasting claim because the, the lamps they had to be extinguished either at the end of every day or at the end of the festival but Jesus is saying he's inextinguishable. He says, if you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. There's a key here that unlocks so much of what Jesus said that the religious leaders didn't get in that chapter. They're always interpreting the things that Jesus says in, term, in a physical sense. But if you look through the whole book of John, the key is to see that a lot of what Jesus says is spiritual. It's real spiritual truth that has a real physical effect on, on the world. And so uh, Jesus is also making 
an exclusive claim because he says, I am the light of the world. Now, sometimes you might think that maybe this points to Jesus' divinity, but actually it's more of pointing to him being the Messiah because there's many prophecies written hundreds of years before in the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah being a light to the nations. And we read that together in Isaiah 42. Um, Jesus actually quotes this uh, chapter when he reads out the book of Isaiah in a synagogue, a local Jewish religious gathering place, and he says uh, this chapter is fulfilled. He, he basically implies that he is the Messiah. So it says, uh, I, the Lord, have called you the Messiah in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. He's also making a universal claim because he's saying, I am a light for the world. Uh, and that includes this messianic prophecies when it says he's a light to the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, that includes all of us. Um, before Jesus came, you basically had to join God's people to be uh, the nation of Israel, to be a part. It was kind of an attractional model. But Jesus turns everything on its head uh, when he comes and says, actually, no longer do you have to kind of be attracted to this one land, but uh, we're going to spread out. My mission is to the whole world. And no longer will you worship God in one place, in a temple, but actually each person is a temple and God's spirit dwells within them. And no longer am I really concerned about physical descendants, but it's more about spiritual children of God. And it's no longer about really joining a nation, but it's about a global kingdom. So Jesus starts to fulfill all of these prophecies and establish his radical kingdom of God. But it still is a really big claim if someone says they are the light of the world. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders that Jesus was talking with, they reacted, I think, just like some of us will. Um, they said, how can you say that? You know, you're the only one describing yourself as the light of the world. But, and they actually pointed back to laws, uh, back in a, a book called Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, uh, where there was a law that for someone to be put to death, there needed to be at least two witnesses. Now, maybe they were incorrectly expanding the need for two witnesses for everything, but Jesus just rolled along with it. And some of his responses are really interesting and help us to know who Jesus is better. One of the first things is that he wants us to know is his divine origin. When he says to religious leaders, he says, you're from below, I'm from above. You're of the world, I am not of the world. I was chatting with someone recently and they said on Japanese passports, the word for, uh, for non-citizen is the same word for alien. So I looked up to see what Australia does and we do the same. It's actually really common around the world that we have these two terms on our Australian government websites. You're either a citizen or an alien. Uh, now, uh, we obviously have uh, some idea of what alien means, but in, in some ways Jesus was expressing to say that when he was out of this, uh, he's not of this world, he's kind of an alien um, in that he didn't originate in the world. The Bible describes Jesus as, being, as having a virgin birth. He was not 
born by the standard method of two parents. And he says in verse 42 in this chapter, I have come here from God. So his big claim is while the religious leaders had a kind of a human authority, Jesus is saying, I've come from a heavenly world. That's the authority in which I'm able to say these things. He also wants us to know his authority as a future judge. That's why he can say, I am the light of the world. He says later in verse 26 in the chapter, I have much to say in judgment of you. The religious leaders, they thought they knew who Jesus really was. They had their opinions of him, but Jesus said, actually, you've got no idea who I am. And why did they have no idea? Well, he explains in verse 15, you judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Now, we have this uh, thing in society where we say, well, you shouldn't judge anyone. And in fact, sometimes people even quote Jesus, who said, do not judge so that you won't be judged. Uh, And that's true, you find that in Matthew 7. But we need to be careful because Jesus was actually talking about hypocrisy in that chapter And in the previous chapter, John 7, Jesus says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So Jesus doesn't say that we should never judge. He just says that actually we need to be discerning. um, And there's a right way to be discerning. So when Jesus says here to the religious leaders, I pass judgment on no one, actually you need to look at the context of what he said just before that. And really he's saying, I don't judge anyone by human standards. But also through the book of John, he hints at a time when he will come to judge. Uh, John 12, 47 gives a summary kind of mission statement of his first coming. Jesus says, I did not come to judge the world, I came to save the world. But then in the very next verse, he says, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. I think this is actually a great thing because we all long for justice in this world. We see so little of it in many ways around the world, people being exploited. And yet Jesus promises that one day there will be ultimate justice. Things will be set right. Are you ready to face Jesus as judge because he's not going to judge by outward appearances the way other people see you but he wants to look at your heart he'll be the final judge secondly this chapter I think really helps us to see Jesus desire and that's Jesus desire for us to know his father God the father's actually not spoken a lot about um, in many sermons and books In the Gospel of John, it occurs over 120 times, which is more than all the other three Gospels combined. It's a really big theme, and I think we'd do well to actually study who God the Father is. And in this passage, I think there's two things that Jesus wants us to know about God the Father. He says, first of all, he and the Father are unified. In verse 16, it says, I stand with the Father who sent me. In verse 18, it says, my other witness is the Father who sent me. In verse 19, he says, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. 
And in verse 29, Jesus says, The one who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. So there's really strong hints of the Trinity here. Uh, of this, uh, it's not explicit, but there's an extremely close relationship between Jesus the Son and God the Father. Actually, the most explicit declaration in this chapter comes right at the very end where Jesus says, I am. He calls him, he names himself, I am. And that's the, the name that God gives himself when he's speaking with Moses in the burning bush back in Exodus. And the Trinity is one of those things that is kind of not explicitly mentioned in the Bible. But through the different clues, uh, we know from the Old Testament there's a really strong theme of there being one God. And then it's really the New Testament that kind of expands our understanding as Jesus reveals so much more about God uh, with all of the things that he says that we realize that actually while there is one God is also mysteriously three persons within that, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the theologian Marianne Thompson has a really interesting insight about this relationship between God the Father and Son. Uh, she says, what is particularly telling in the depictions of God as Father is the way in which God's actions as Father are focused on Jesus himself. It is Jesus who speaks of and addresses God as Father. Jesus speaks but rarely even to his own disciples of God as their Father and then only after the resurrection. In short, according to the Gospel, is the prerogative of Jesus to address God as Father and speak of God in these terms because no one else had that distinctive and particular relationship with God. And if you read John chapter 17 of Jesus' prayer, you can see that he was so close to God the Father and yet, amazingly, he actually invites us to use the same name for God when we pray, when he, uh, he says we're to address God as Father. And I just think this is... Yeah, just an amazing privilege uh, that sometimes I forget that uh, as sons and daughters of God, we can call upon our Heavenly Father who cares for us. Now, when Jesus makes a wild statement like, I am the light of the world, how can we really believe that? Well, it's because of his foundational relationship of being unified with God the Father. The Father, the source of his authority to make that statement is the Father. But Jesus and his Father, they're also united in word and action. In verse 26, the source of Jesus' message, Jesus says, What I have heard from the Father, I tell the world. And in verse 29, Jesus says the source of his actions. Um, uh, the Father has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. So there's this cooperation here between God the Father commissioning and God the Son, Jesus, being commissioned to do his works. I think it's very much like a glove uh, in that the, the glove does whatever what the hand wants it to do. And that's true for us as well. Uh, John fourteen twenty one, Jesus speaks to us and says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one that loves me and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and will show themself, myself to them. And so God promises that as we follow what he wants for us as our creator, uh, we will understand more of him. And last year we heard about that illustration of the Ikea cupboard, that as you put together the cupboard, um, you start in a very small way to begin to understand the kind of the mind and the ideas of its creator. 
and in a much bigger way that's true for us that when we understand God through thinking about him and reading his word and talking with Jesus and other Christians we learn more about God uh, and we learn more through the experience of following him and being transformed by him. Well, not long to go now, I'd just like you to discuss a little question for my final point, and that is, what is a memorable experience of light in your life? Um, Perhaps you've loved torches as a kid, or perhaps you did camping and you looked up into the night sky, um, or perhaps you got lost in the dark one time. Um, Let's just chat for a minute about one memorable experience of light in your life. bring it back together, finish up. So my uh, final point that I want to talk about is that uh, Jesus wants you to be the light, uh, to have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And we've seen this dualistic imagery of light and darkness back in John 1. It says, in Jesus, in the Word, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And I love that imagery of Jesus being light. If you have experienced camping uh, somewhere away from the big smoke, I just love looking up at the night sky and even though it's so inky black, you can hardly see your hand in front of your face, but you can see all the millions of stars. And what amazes me is that those stars are billions of kilometres away and yet the light makes it all the way to Earth for us to see it. And I think that what shows is that um, even though it's billions of kilometres of darkness, Uh, light can overcome that darkness. And so this kind of expresses the the truth that Jesus is promising for us, that if we have his light, we can overcome the darkness in our life. And that's what implies, Jesus is implying by his statement, that we actually have darkness in our life. A similar uh, verse in John 12, Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And even that 
uh, chapter we read in Isaiah talked about being released from the dungeon, those who sit in darkness. And Colossians it says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. So what's the darkness that we all have? Well, in verse 24, Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am he, that I am the Messiah, the Saviour, you will die in your sins. Well, sins, it's a bit of a dirty word today. Uh, Our culture, actually like all cultures in the past, we kind of, we just hate to admit that we could be wrong. But I think we need really fresh biblical ways of describing sin because often as Christians we think of it in just that legal sort of sense of doing something wrong, of breaking God's law. But we see through the Bible there's actually multiple ways in which sin is expressed. Uh, It might be expressed in terms of relationship, of someone being selfish in a relationship. Or in the honour-shame sense, sin is kind of when we fail to honour our Creator. Or in the wisdom sense, sin is when we think we know more than our infinitely knowledgeable Creator. Well, here's another idea about sin from John Stott. Um, He says, The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. And so their sin is um, described here in terms of that asserting that we're taking God's place, that we are our own creator. Well, for us, this darkness of sin is actually so inky black that Jesus says we're slaves to it. In verse 34, Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, immediately, the religious leaders, they reacted and said, well, we haven't ever been slaves to anyone, which kind of overlooked the fact that they were slaves in Egypt. Um, But it also, I think, speaks to us the fact that we can be, the worst kind of slavery is when we're slaves, but we don't realise it. And perhaps you have an enslaving habit. Maybe you beat yourself up about it. Maybe you've just tried harder and harder to overcome it. Um, You don't know what to do because you know it's not good for you, but you keep doing it. And this trying harder just eventually keeps failing again. And I've experienced that, the, the frustration, the tears, the regrets of just not being able to overcome it. And that's because darkness can't do anything to help itself. It, it can't overcome itself. It's helpless. And the Bible says the real reason we have the enslaving problem of sin is because we don't have an appetite. And what I mean is we don't really taste God. The solution to overcoming a habit that has you gripped is actually worship. It's uh, really worshipping God. It's, it's overcoming the desires for what I know, not, what is not good for me, with the desire for what is truly good. Uh, in his inner being, God is good. And it's when we worship, when we really understand the transcendence of God, how magnificent he is. It's when we understand the depth of our own brokenness uh, that we are moved to our core 
and that we can uh, solve the enslaving problems. But I think, uh, you know, when you have that really, that time of deep connection with a friend or when a parent speaks with their child uh, and the, the child is just able to bear their soul to their parent. Um, it's, those are kinds of things that you can't really schedule. You can't put it in your Google calendar that I'm going to have deep connection with Benny from 6 to 6.30. You know, it really comes out of a quantity of time together, of thinking about it. And actually, I think that's the same with our worship. If you're really thirsting to have this desire for God that will overcome your uh, desires for this enslaving habit, then it's got to become a way of life. It's got to mean that instead of uh, entertainment, that you're searching out the time to meditate on God and to think about these things. It's about introducing topics of conversation to get to know God with your friends. Um, it's about having the kind of thirst to understand God and the wonder of his grace that overcomes all other desires. Psalm 34 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And the Psalms are actually a, a really great place to kind of get a sense of what it means to live this life of, of pursuing worship and pursuing the understanding of God. But in this passage, there's actually another really just wonderful little example um, of worship. Jesus says in verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. What that's really saying is when you think about and meditate on the lifting up of the Son of Man, of Jesus the Messiah, you worship Jesus as the Messiah, the Saviour of the world. Now, lifting up, it's, it's kind of a really strange expression and it could just refer to the physical when Jesus died on the cross, that kind of lifting of, uh, as they, they nailed the criminal into the cross and they'll lift up the whole cross and insert it into a hole or some sort of structure for everyone to sort of see the humiliation of this naked criminal on display. But John often uses the same word with different meanings. Um, and it, that one word can have multiple meanings. And lifted up is actually used by a lot of other authors in the New Testament to mean exalt or uh, magnify in the majesty. So I've just got a little insight from Leon Morris. Uh, it's, he says, it's part of John's aim to show that Jesus showed forth his glory not in spite of his earthly humiliations, but precisely because of those humiliations. Supremely, this is the case with the cross. To the outward eye, this was the uttermost in degradation, the death of a criminal. But to the eye of faith, it was and is the, the supreme glory. And so when we really understand what happened to Jesus on the cross, that I think our hearts just burst with that kind of worship. Uh, it made me think of Luke 7, when uh, Jesus goes to the house of a religious leader and the religious leader kind of shows a little bit of hospitality, but not a lot. And then this uh, immoral woman comes in and she knows that, that Jesus has forgiven her and she... She weeps and wipes his feet with her hair and, and kisses his feet and it just seems so over the top to Simon, the religious leader, but it seems over the top to me as well. But Jesus said, well, whoever is forgiven little, loves little. 
And so the more that we kind of recognise how much of a grief our past sin is to God and our, our current sin and our future sin and what Jesus has done to release us from that, I think the more that we sort of glory in the humiliation of Jesus, the more we actually worship him and give him the true glory. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. It's, it's an extraordinary way of, of kind of saying the same thing, that we'll never walk in darkness. That we kind of have a torch of infinite battery life with us, uh, that Jesus is our light of life within. In Matthew uh, chapter 4, Jesus actually says this same phrase applies to us, that we are the light of the world. Now we know from uh, other passages that uh, that doesn't mean we're the, we're the light of the world, the Messiah in the sense that Jesus was, but we reflect or we channel uh, Jesus' light to others around us. One final little um, quote is a little verse uh, from an old hymn that Jacko shared with me yesterday uh, from a hymn called I Heard the Voice of Jesus I heard the voice of Jesus say I am this dark world's light look unto me your morn shall rise and all your day be bright I looked to Jesus and I found in him my star my sun and in that light of life I'll walk till travelling days are done so this week don't be a beetle and run from the light but instead thirst for Jesus and run to the light because as you strive to know him more and understand him more you'll worship him more and the other enslaving habits and temptations will fade as you glory in who Jesus really is and share that light uh, with whoever you meet Uh, so don't be a beetle be a beacon of light Uh, Let's just finish with a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much that Jesus, whom you sent, is the light of the world, that he is the fulfilment of so many prophecies made hundreds of years before he came, that you had a solution to our heart problem, to the darkness that we live in. And we just thank you for the the pictures of the festivals that Jesus is able to apply to himself, uh, that he is the water, the living water, that means that we can never be thirsty again, we'll be ultimately satisfied, and that he's also the light that helps us to overcome the darkness in our life. We thank you for the privilege of being able to pray to you, our Heavenly Father, You care for each one of us individually. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.